0: Welcome! You are listening to Park Avenue Podcast, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's always better to hear it live, this is a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. Enjoy our latest installment. Shabbat Shalom. As I watched President Biden take the oath of office on Wednesday, his left hand resting on the Biden family Bible, three thoughts came into my mind in rapid succession. First, wow, that is one big Bible. Given the president's Catholic faith, I know enough to know that his Bible contains some parts that my Jewish one doesn't. But at five inches thick, leather bound, adorned with a Celtic cross, when it comes to sacred scripture, this new president does not play. Second, wow, this president seems a lot more comfortable gripping a Bible than the last time a president publicly held a Bible in our nation's capital. Despite the intimidating size of Biden's Bible, this Bible was not being used to intimidate. There was something calming, comforting, anchoring, and even soothing about its heft. It signaled stability, dignity, and tradition. Third, and predictably, I thought to myself, I wonder if anyone up on those Capitol steps knows what the Torah reading is this week. I mean, how cool would that have been if after the oath of office and the inaugural speech, Garth Brooks had flipped open the big Bible to Exodus chapter 10 and said, in this week's Parsha, Moses stands before Pharaoh demanding, let my people go that they may serve me. But alas, neither Garth nor Lady Gaga nor J-Lo made reference to the Torah reading Moved as I was to hear the president reference Psalms and allude to Ecclesiastes, someday, one day, wouldn't it be great to hear someone on some inaugural morning say, In this week's Torah reading, that day's yet to come. So this day, this year, you'll just have to settle for me. In this week's Torah reading, coinciding with our quadrennial transfer of presidential power, we have a fabulous opportunity. To consider the narrative that sits at the core of our identities as Jews and as Americans, the story of the Exodus. As Jews, the Exodus is so omnipresent in our tradition that its significance in shaping our collective identity is self-evident. Not once, not twice, but three times in this week's Parsha we're instructed to teach our children of the Exodus, how an enslaved and oppressed people we're let out from bondage by way of God's mighty hand and outstretched arm throughout the bible throughout the prayer book throughout the jewish year the exodus narrative sits at the foundation of our Jewish self-understanding, not merely knowing the story or even telling the story, but as we know from the Passover Seder, to see that story as our own, as if we ourselves came out of Egypt. To do so is to fulfill the mitzvah and fulfill one's Jewish identity. To fail to do so, as in the case of the wicked child, is to exclude oneself from our shared past and our shared destiny. But the reception history of the exodus it's not just limited to Jews. All Americans, no matter their faith, are well within their rights to claim the story of Exodus as a crucial building block to our American self-definition. As a great scholar of American Hebraism, Aaron Shalev argues, from the very beginnings of our country's history, in fact, well before the beginning, The story of this week's Torah reading has shaped who we are and who we believe ourselves to be. In 1630, when the Puritans set forth from religious shores in search of religious freedom, they compared their journey on the Arbella to that of the ancient Israelites being led out of Egypt through the Red Sea and to the Promised Land. Because unlike the militant secularism of the French Revolution, the American Revolution co-opted the exodus in order to give voice to their struggles and aspirations. In Thomas Jefferson's estimation, England's taxation without representation was akin to quote, a deliberate systematical plan of reducing us to slavery. On July 4, 1776, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams were directed to design the seal of the United States. Franklin pur- uh, proposed a portrayal of Moses lifting his hand to split the sea as Pharaoh drowned in the waters, and the motto read, rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. Jefferson, alternatively, suggested an image of the children of Israel in the wilderness led by a cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. In our lore, in our literature, in our leaders and lawgivers, the Exodus archetype has loomed large in our national imagination, from our predecessors to the present day, a people on an errand into the wilderness, God's second chosen, God's new Israel. So, on a week such as ours, in the historic inflection point in which we find ourselves, let's place our hands and hearts to that Exodus story and affirm the lessons it bestows upon our people let's ask ourselves as Americans and American Jews the ever-present and all-important question of meaning. What are the enduring takeaways of the Exodus? How shall this story from our shared past inform our shared future? Here are five. First and foremost, the story of the Exodus is a story of redemption. Every age has had its pharaohs. Every age has had its literal and figurative Egypts, the narrow straits of Mitzrayim from which liberation is sought. From the Puritans to the revolutionaries to the Mormons to the Civil War to civil rights, every generation imagines itself to stand on the banks of the sea. In 1955, reflecting on Brown v. Board of Education, a young Martin Luther King preached, The Red Sea was opened and freedom and justice marched to the other side, a motif that remained central to King's ministry up to the night before his assassination. In 1963, at Chicago's National Conference on Religion and Race, Heschel opened his remarks by reminding his audience that, quote, it was easier for the children of Israel to cross the Red Sea than for a Negro to cross certain university campuses. In 2013, President Obama in Jerusalem reminded his listeners that, quote, for generations, the promise of the exodus helped people weather poverty and persecution. The rhetoric of the exodus comforts us in that we are not the first to yearn to be free. We are not the first to be inured in our homes, waiting for the plague to pass. Others before us have cried out to the Lord, seeking to be redeemed. Second, the Exodus narrative reassures us that the light of redemption is ever in the horizon. Joy has and will cometh in the morning. Moral progress is possible and national transformation is never beyond our reach. The challenge of the Exodus generation, though, was not solely Pharaoh's oppressive regime. The Israelites were shackled. In the immobilizing bondage of inertia and self-doubt, the test of wills wasn't merely between Pharaoh and Moses, but it was between Moses and his own people, whether he could convince the Israelites that there was an existence to be had beyond their servitude, over and over again, as Michael Walzer traces in his study of the subject, the Israelites resisted Moses, waxing nostalgically for some illusory past, longing for the flesh pots of Egypt, murmuring throughout the sojourn a toxic, retrogressive, backsliding form of defeatism. We can all relate to the fear of the future and the allure of yesteryear. The Israelites felt it then, and we understand why people feel it today. The exodus knows this fear. It names it and responds to it with hope. Hope that no matter the internal and external forces counseling otherwise, this world can change. We can change. Tomorrow can be different than today. Third, critically important as a story of our emancipation may be how we see ourselves, even more important is how the story instructs us to see others and relate to others. The freedom granted us was not given willy-nilly. Let my people go that they may serve me. There is a covenantal responsibility embedded in our liberation, a form of citizenship, if you will, a series of obligations, moral, communal, national and otherwise. Our freedom is meaningful only insofar as we reaffirm our responsibility to law, to each other, and most of all to building a just society to invoke the exodus is to trigger a sense of empathy, a demand to respond to the condition of the poor, the widow, the orphan, to anyone who stands at the periphery of society. Why? Because as the Bible explains over and over, we were once strangers in a strange land, one law the Torah teaches for stranger and citizen alike, not just as Jews, but as Americans. We never forget in Oscar Hanlon's words that we are a nation of uprooted immigrants And that it is that embrace of the other, the tired, the poor, the huddled masses yearning to be free that informs our being and our borders. Yes, the Exodus story is a story of freedom. But it's an American story because it's a story that reminds us that with freedom comes responsibility. It reminds us that our strength is measured according to the degree by which we are attentive to the weakest in our midst. Fourth. And here we extend beyond this week's Torah reading and into the Torah readings to come. The Exodus reminds us that in order to get to the promised land, we'll have to go through the wilderness. As Walzer writes, the Israelites are not magically transported to the promised land. They are not carried on the eagle's wings of Exodus. They must march to get there. And that march is full of difficulties, crises, and struggles. There will be backsliding. There will be murmurings, and there's going to be golden calves along the way. There aren't any shortcuts. The wilderness is a place filled with anxiety, with more unknowns than knowns. But the wilderness is also a place for discovery, for opportunity, for renewal, and for growth. At risk of giving away the ending, the Exodus generation never actually makes it to the promised land. Their story, our story, is not one of reaching a destination, it's one of committing to the journey, of picking up where our predecessors left off, of putting one step ahead of the other, even when, perhaps especially when, the duration and direction of the road ahead is not entirely clear. It's a lesson that finds ready application to our country's present dark hour. The measure of our worth is derived not based on where we end up but in the manner by which we journey forward into the unknown. Fifth and finally, and once again from Waltzer, there is no way to get from here to there except by joining together and marching. If we want to get out of Egypt, if we want to get through the wilderness, then the only chance we have is to do it together, The Exodus may have been revolutionary, but it wasn't messianic or apocalyptic. The story of our people is the story of a mixed multitude who had to figure out a way to live together, to affirm a covenant together, and to move ahead together. Moses, Aaron, Miriam, Joshua, there were bumps along the way. They had their differences, but they were pragmatists. They learned to respect what each other brought to the table to work through their differences and how to get along in order to move along. This was actually the message that King preached that fateful final night in Memphis, not just that he had been to the mountaintop, but that the greatest danger wasn't Pharaoh, but it was infighting, as taught by the prophet Jeremiah, that it's from within that the deadliest enemies are to be found In America, those enemies are racism, nativism, demonization, and baseless hatreds of all kind. Ancient Israel was constituted by different tribes, but they learned to march forward together, and so must we. Our national dialogue, our very souls, must be capacious enough to house difference, to house the red and the blue, the urban and the rural, conservative and liberal, as we heard this week, We must learn to listen to one another, to hear one another, to see one another, and to show respect to one another. What does the Exodus teach us as Americans? That whatever we do, we need to do it together. Five lessons. First, we're not the first to experience Egypt. Second, resist the allure of nostalgia, tomorrow can be better than today. Third, the freedoms of Exodus are there to prompt us to care for the stranger in our midst. Fourth, in order to get to the promised land, first we got to go through the wilderness. And fifth, we can only step forward if we do so together. Five enduring lessons of the Exodus. Five lessons embedded into the DNA of our nation. Five lessons that speak directly to our present moment. No doubt there are other lessons. I have my list. I imagine you have yours. It is, after all, a very big book. But let's keep that book close in our hearts and in the work of our hands, the North Star guiding us in our shared journey forward. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. See you in shul.